Welcome to FNB Business Talk. My name is Lynette Sanduli and I look forward to spending time with you to help us all navigate into the new normal. Today we're joined by the designer Tula Cindy. Tula, the business of fashion. We're navigating 2020 where most of us have slid back into our leggings, our tracksuit pants, and our hoodies. Tell us a little bit about your year and a lockdown and the subsequent change in our way of work and how, of course, that has impacted a business that's central to it is the ability of us to experience, to touch it, to come in and fit, shop, and, of course, go out into the world and express ourselves in your designs. Oh, Lynette, 2020 has been a crucible. It's quite challenging for us in fashion because of factors outside of ourselves. For me, this year has really been about newness and about finding new ways because fashion is supposed to not only lead the times, but also react to the times. We can't lament them. We need to be part of them. And for me, what this year has been about has been about collaboration in problem solving because we work in isolation as creative people and the business burden of fashion is very heavy because all the expenses are really upfront. You know, you have to have your raw materials, which is the fabrication. You have to have a studio you work from, which is that rental. You have to have staff on retainer, which is salaries. So it is quite capital intensive. So when there's even a slight disturbance in how people can shop, how often they can shop, it's actually quite devastating. And we've seen that in much larger companies that have crumbled. And it's been quite a challenge. But I must say, we've managed to steer the course and just find a way to prioritize what is really important. And with fashion, it is always the human capital and really about just finding interesting ways to continue to do business. Your business and the businesses of so many other designers in South Africa have diversified is not just to have an online presence, but also to have physical stores. Um, You've been in retail for quite some time in some of the major shopping centers. And we obviously saw retail take a significant knock during this period in time, if one refers to the stats. What has that meant for you? And what kind of pressures did that put on your business and the entire model overall? Lynette, the lockdown was honestly the most challenging aspect of the last year because literally business shut down from the 25th of March. We could not sell a stitch of clothing. It went from regular turnover to zero. But as a fashion enterprise, one must always have some sort of war chest that they build. For me, that's always served me very well, especially because we're in a very unpredictable business, extremely unpredictable. Fortunately, we were only shut for about two and a half months. And you must bear in mind, Lynette, that what we sell as Tula Cindy and as Africa Rise is fashion and not just apparel. So we're not, we are like the non-essentials of the non-essential. So <laughs> we honestly are not even making the basics that people need just to cover their bodies. We're really making, like you said, confections. We're making the most delicious, the most indulgent items of fashion. And we ourselves had to look at our product offerings as designers and say, guys, how do we fit into what's going forward? Yes, we cannot sell right now. We're all sitting in our homes, 
but how can we stay in communication with our customers to let them know that we are still available and around? And also, how can we change what we create to move into this new working from home, this new judicious choice of clothing? Because people are now very careful with spending, even if they do have money, because they now fear the next impending disaster. So they'd rather hold on to disposable money unless you give them a very good reason to part with it. What would you say pre-COVID did you instill into your business model that keeps Tula Cindy rising? There is something obviously in your formula that perhaps the rest of your peers and counterparts had not factored in. How did you begin building that war chest? It's not only small businesses that struggle to create a war chest. Um, Even big blue chip companies They can operate for many, many years. Like I'm from a mining town and they experience two years of limited income. Then they just crumble. And for me, I really feel like it's a big loss. And I understand most companies work like that. They, you know, at the end of the year, they have to give dividends and whatnot. But it's very important if you're building a human-based company, like a fashion company, that you make sure that with every good year, you get at least three or two and a half months worth of turnover just to cover your overheads. For me, that's how I've managed to build my business and also to manufacture carefully because fashion companies need to manufacture more carefully. We cannot just make clothing that nobody wants. We need to respond to demand. And how I do it is that I keep most of my raw materials uncut and I create only about eight items and I put them in separate stores and also online. And then whatever sells, we deliver to the customer as quickly as possible and as luxuriously as possible so that even the customer having to wait perhaps between four-hour period to get an item that was perhaps at another store is more of a luxurious experience versus us making a full-size curve at every single store and only selling 25% of those garments at full price, forcing us to mark down the other 75% of merchandise which makes other customers not want to buy merchandise at full price. So that's the vicious cycle that fashion is in. And I've always disconnected my company from that. We don't mark down at all. We only sell at full price and we manufacture very carefully and respond to demand and use information and we use uh, logistics and customer care and customer education to get the product from the store to the intended customer. And if we have a style that does not do well, we are left with one or two items, not a full production of a hundred items. That is just really not necessary. And that's what's really harming the companies. And I'm trying to impart that to a lot of other brands as well to say, we as South African and African designers need to be into the smart manufacturing. We need to be the people that can read data and say, oh, actually, I need to send 32 and 38 to store A. I'm more likely to sell those there. I need to sell that and that in that other place and use information to control what we manufacture instead of this method of just throwing something against the wall and seeing what sticks. This is how it's been done by all the big manufacturers that produce thousands of garments that nobody wants. And I mean, like this is happening from the fast fashion retailers to even the high end retailers that are just creating so much merchandise that nobody needs. And there's two tiers of shoppers. There's the ones that buy it full price and there's the ones that just wait eight weeks for it to be marked down. And it's really it's harmful to the environment. It's harmful to the shopper's psyche. And it's just not how this business should go forward. So that's how I make sure that my business keeps making money and we can respond to 
moments like this. Because honestly, after the shutdown was announced, my first priority was that, okay, I can survive about six to seven months without making a single cent. Let's see what happens after that. How many retail locations do you have now? Just to track a little bit back, this knowledge was hard won because I once had a business partner about five years ago because I really wanted to scale up my distribution points. And that was a nightmare. It was honestly a nightmare and it ended quite badly. So this is from being bitten. You know, now I'm very, very shy. But as a business, one has got to learn your lessons on the ground. And right now I've got about five retail spaces. I've got three of my own stores and two Africa Rise stores. But I am in the process of re-looking at that because as much as I love physical space, we are in a place where people are not going out as often as they are anymore. Physical spaces are vital in South Africa absolutely vital. And they also feed into online stores as well, because people tend to buy more from places that they know physically exist. They know there's a place to go to, to return stuff. They know there's a place that they can trust and it's solid. But at the same time, not all the retail landlords are as flexible as I feel they should be. I'm making some interesting adjustments to my portfolio in that regard. This portfolio has grown now, the retail locations. What's kept you alive? And what are the type of conversations that you've been engaged in, in making sure that the Tula Cindy brand will have that all-important physical presence as we move on? Physical stores are... Very vital, but (laughs) landlords in retail are very, very tough, notoriously so, especially in South Africa, where access to market has always been a great challenge, you know, especially for young entrepreneurs, especially for black entrepreneurs. It's very, very tough, Uh, but it's, it's, it's honestly getting there because we need to get to a place where we can be in the best possible locations because to sell clothes, positioning is everything. You need to be next to your contemporaries. You need need to be next to your competitors. You can't be tucked away in some exit before the pay station for the garage. So from when I started, the first store I did have, that's why I needed a partner to have that balance sheet that could guarantee that I had the best possible space in Rosebank, which was upstairs, was a humongous store, overpriced in the fittings. We didn't negotiate as well as we could have because we're working with a lot of capital, which is also a lesson that I learned that, you know, just because there is money doesn't mean you need to not negotiate the best possible rentals and the best possible in terms of how you do your fittings. That's why I've gone from using a huge design company to do stores like we did in my first store, which I learned all of my lessons on. Now, when I fit my stores, I have my trusted service providers who have the individual tasks. I'm also very, very hands on because, you know, as an entrepreneur, we have lots of skills that sometimes we just want to outsource everything. Say, oh, I'll have that fancy company do everything and cost you an arm and a leg. So I've been very proactive since then. And each time I approach a mall, it's about how can we work together? Because I've got challenges that I may face, but I'm bringing value to the store. Because as a shopping center, whether it is Menlin, whether it is Santin, what I bring to them is where the shopper is moving towards. Because it's an easy thing to show them that people are wearing South African-made fashion. So where are they getting it from? If they're not getting it from your malls, it means they're going to other shopping centers or they're going to other avenues and they're going to fall in love with those avenues and your mall is going to look outdated, it won't look like it's responding to the times. So why as a mall would you want 
to not have the most creative and celebrated designers within your space. And that's the approach I take for my own brand. That's why I'm in Santon, I'm in Rosebank. I mean, I'm in Mainland, I'm in Rosebank. And for Africa Rise, I approached Santon, and which was really the grand dame of all of the shopping centers. And that was my pitch to them. This is what I'm offering you. I'm offering you the best of the continent's designers, but I will take the risk because you must understand shopping centers are profit-driven enterprises. Yes, they've got their own targets in terms of enterprise development, but they are there to make money. So I also need to give them a commercial and viable promise that I'm not only going to bring you feet, I want to bring you sales. I can be able to pay rental or even just a slightly discounted one. But what I want to bring to the mall is something that nobody can bring, which is authenticity, which is creativity, and also leading the way because a lot of shopping centers in South Africa are waking up to it. Because even if you look at right now with COVID, it's a lesson for us all, you know, and the smaller retailers, it's tough because to get out of these leases is brutal. You know, you some of them you're paying half the balance for the months left over, which can ruin you forever. So it's very tough. So what another thing that I've done is that I do a lot of shorter leases. I will do 12 months and renew, renew, renew so that I can give myself an out. A three-year lease, four-year lease, those things are not possible. We've learned now with the EdCons that these 20-year leases and 25-year leases, the world is now too volatile for that to be viable. I look at my parents and how they could work in one company for 25 years or 30 years. That's not an option for us anymore. You know, even just being five years in a certain company is a lifetime. So things have changed. And we have to negotiate differently. We have to go on 12-month cycles. And we have to be honest about what we can afford, what we do bring. It's not always financial. Sometimes it is just honestly the spirit of the times. And these shopping centers, for them to stay viable, they need to be in tune with the spirit of the times. Now, in the middle of all of the conversations that you are also having, Sula Cindy the Maverick opens a store in the middle of a pandemic. The Africa Rise story for me is quite interesting. Tell us about where, where do you get this inspiration, this courage to then open another emporium in a very unlikely location? Ah, you know, Africa Rise is really, for me, what I want to leave for my industry. I've been in retail now for about eight years and I was looking ahead of me and behind me and there was nobody you know, I didn't have other designers with me in the shopping centers. And for me, it was because of the fear of what they've seen. Designers have seen other businesses that I won't mention completely collapse from being part of this retail game. There's a justifiable fear. But I was like, guys, no, we need to find a new baseline for ourselves. We need to have a place that stocks all of our brands, that we can show what we're good at. And we can hedge our bets and count on each other to just get that access to market. And I will take the risk. And because I'm very gutsy, you know, I always say to people, there's no debtor's jail in South Africa. No one can actually do anything to you. You know, um, you must take calculated risks. And I'm very, very calculated. In terms of the Santon store, of course, high traffic, it was it was a no-brainer. You know, it was a very necessary. The customers that wear South African fashion, they wear it with what they also buy at the Diamond Walk. So that was a no-brainer at all. And the center saw it my way as well. In terms of bringing Africa Rise to the Joburg City, it is so important for people who work and live in the city uh, to be able to see our product. And the city is also 
got something that Santon does not. It's got American tourists. It's got Western European tourists. Because they do not want to be in shopping centers. They want to be in Soweto. They want to be in town. They want to feel the pulse of the city. And I wanted to be in the city. I've been in that building now for the last six years with my studio being there. And I said, an Africa Rise store right here, right now would be the best possible thing. I know there aren't tourists right now, but we've got the two banks that have got headquarters in the city. We've got government buildings, we've got people that work and live in the city that need to explore, look at our product, touch it, feel it. So that we can create that brand education, can create that desire. You know, a store is still cheaper than a billboard that I would take up on the highway but it brings in the possibility of sales. It's very calculated. It seems like a risk, but it's part of our expansion into what it means to create African fashion. And we need to be in the heartbeat of the city. We need to be where other people that want to create and experience the city can also experience the beauty of what we do. And I mean, we made rent on the first day of being open. So it is financially extremely viable. The rentals are soft enough but also the interest is high enough. An easy equation is that in Santon, we have 100 people walk in because it's a busy mall, but about five people would purchase. Whereas in the destination store that is in Joburg CBD or 66 Anderson Street, we have 10 people walk in and eight people purchase because you go there with the intention to buy. There's no one quite just loitering unnecessarily. And I've also partnered up with the Red Bus Tours so that once we open up, they will bring people and tourists to us to explore the beauty. And that was something that for me is important as well, because brand education is extremely important because South African fashion is beyond beautiful. And I've included also designers from across the continent. So yeah, that is really my inspiration is that we need to be strategically spaced, being every single location. We need to be in a high traffic place. We need to be in a great destination venue as well. And always being where people expect to see beauty, they find us there. And that is the same model as all of these big retailers. You know, they're everywhere. And you'll find that one store is subsidizing the other store. But the presence of the other store does so much for the chain. It does so much for the perception and I mean, luckily, we're at a place where, like you said, people are now so careful with how they spend and the country being closed off to the dumping that honestly happens in terms of clothing and merchandise that gets dumped into South Africa. Having a break from that has actually been such a blessing for us as designers. We've had a chance to communicate with people, talk about how we make clothes, who makes our clothes, and there's an added appreciation. So this lockdown period has not only been detrimental or anything like that. But it's also been a time for us to reboot, time for everybody to just buy more carefully, buy more judiciously, and just look at things that they value. We are slowly emerging out of it, but I think we're emerging a lot better than where we were before. Like when people say they want to go back to how things were before, the normal, I don't. I'm actually, I'm embracing what this time has brought to us. It's now we are more careful. We know now that we need to value our staff. We need to value the customer. We need to value people's spending because now we know that it is possible for it to go to absolute zero overnight. So we need to respect our customers. We need to create quality garments. We need to create beautiful experiences for people. And they go on to tell other people and they go do the marketing for us. 
You know, Tula, as we draw down towards a wrap of this particular conversation, to somebody who not only looks up to the brand you're building, who aspires to perhaps partner with you because your business model is also very inclusive, what would you say are the three priorities they should focus on as they now rethink and reinvent I love the term market re-entry because it's honestly what is happening. We're all having to rethink how we approach this changed world, how we approach the customer that has now reprioritized everything. And we think three months is a short bit of time, but it only takes 21 days to create completely new habits. People are not going to want to go back to certain things. As a young brand, as a even a brand that is very experienced but wants to go back into finding itself and back to profitability, the three things I think one must focus on is one is collaboration, finding ways to have access to market where you don't have to risk everything. You know, a lot of brands want to do everything on their own, on their own, on their own. And it isn't always possible. And that's why I created Africa Rise. So we could have a home that is very high end, well appointed, but we managed to cover each other and manage to be in those prime locations without having to spend on rentals and fittings and all of that risk that accompanies it just to focus on our product and what we're good at. And two is to use data. You know, I'm a very analytical person. It's so important to know information and know how to interpret it. And um, I always try and tell people that even numbers lie. I used to stock a store in Hyde Park that I'd get a report back and it would tell me that, oh, the 10 dresses I sold, I've sold all 10 of them. If I just looked at the numbers without interacting with the salespeople, what those numbers would tell me is that I should make more of those dresses, right? But then I would go to the store, interact with the sales staff, say, hey, this was great. How did this happen? And they'd be like, oh, my God, Tula, please do not ever make those dresses again. We had to have 300 people fit them. We eventually managed to move those 10, thank goodness. But that is a problematic style and this and this and that. So taking that data, but also being hands-on and interacting with people that are at every touch point, whether it is a seamstress, whether it is a sales assistant, whether it is a customer, that informs your way forward. And you make less mistakes when you've got more information and more rounded information, not just the spreadsheet or not just hearsay, but a combination of all of those to inform your next move. And thirdly, just financial responsibility and keeping our overheads low without squeezing the most important part. We do not squeeze the staff. We don't squeeze the people that create the clothing, that create the beauty. You find ways to, if it's the overhead of the rentals, So those are the three things that I find are very, very, very important. But courage and moving forward is the most important thing. Thank you for joining us on F&B Business Talks. If you're enjoying our interviews, please subscribe to our channel. FNB is a division of First Rand Bank Limited, an authorized financial services and credit provider. C's and C's apply.